0: You're listening to TalkZone.com, Internet Talk Radio.
1: Thank you very much for staying with us. We're talking today with Steve Waldman, who is the author of Founding Faith, Providence, Politics, and the Birth of Religious Freedom in America. And we interrupted you talking about the 14th Amendment. And
2: you know what happened after the Civil War to rights for everybody?
0: So uh, uh, with the passage of the 14th Amendment basically said that the uh, rights that are in the Bill of Rights ought to apply in the states and the local level, not just at the federal government. And so over the course of many years, the courts have interpreted that as meaning that um, this idea of separation of church and state that they had talked about originally as Mm -hmm. applying just to the federal government would also apply in the the local governments and state governments. And that's why we have battles over prayer in schools, and you know a crash on the city hall and things like that, where a lot of our in fact a lot of the conflict over church and state happens at the local level mm-hmm.
2: you know so in what the founding fathers finally did is they made it so no church would dominate and all people would have freedom to pursue their conscience and their religion
0: right and and the the radical departure the big change from previous uh, approaches was they they did want to encourage religion. They thought that it was quite important to, that uh, it be a religious country, in part because they were establishing a republic, democracy, and they thought that wasn't going to work unless you had a virtuous hmm. citizenry. Hmm. That's, that's and they, right. And be- that you couldn't have a virtuous citizenry. They thought without religion. But the big change from from their grandfathers and from the European approach was. They said the best way to encourage religion is to leave it alone, is to get government out of the way. Uh, instead of trying to get in there and help it, government should stay away. And that if you just allowed for almost a free market of religious and spiritual ideas, mm-hmm. that spirituality would flourish. And, you know, I think they were right.
2: And you think that's true with business too?
0: Well, they certainly did, but I, but I don't know that it necessarily... You know flows, but they, I think in general they they did have the same approach to political rights, religious rights, and economic rights. They thought that um, you know if you have a more uh, open exchange that everything will become stronger as a result so um, and we're you know I think we're all pretty familiar with the debate over that in economic terms, but we we probably don't talk, think about it in religious terms as much that that one of the things that allows us to have this spiritual freedom is this diversity and pluralism that results from from debate.
2: So government can play a really good hand in things running smoothly for people, both uh, religiously and economically, by not allowing monopolies and also by generally allowing uh, life to just go how it wants to go. Right. Sort of both.
0: don't, Don't put... They shouldn't put their their thumbs on the scale. They shouldn't tilt uh, in one direction of one religion or another. Yeah, and they should just create a sort of level playing field. Where uh, it doesn't mean that all religions are going to be equal or equally successful. You know, it's right. One one of the
2: or or businesses.
0: They, right. Exactly. And they, you know, there was a really fascinating letter uh, that Madison wrote. Late in his life, when he was kind of assessing what he'd accomplished with uh, church and state, and he thought it was a success. But it was interesting why he thought it was a success. He wasn't saying it's a success because minority religions uh, you know are protected. He said, "I think it's a, I think it's a success because the quality of religion has improved. He was literally saying, you know, we have better ministers now. We have more people going to church, and and he said that's, you know, he, he thought that the actual quality and interest in spiritual matters had had improved as a result, because um, you didn't have government propping up incompetent ministers. Yes. You know, so the only the ministers who really had a strong following right. or had a message that was resonating were the ones who survived. That, that really was a kind of a free market approach.
2: Right. That sounds like the same thing that maybe should be adjusted with the tenure that teachers get.
0: Well, it's uh as as a father of someone with an eleven year old and a fourteen year old I probably shouldn't say anything more. That's <laughs> a father
2: of a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, I keep my mouth shut.
1: <laughs> Our guest today is Stephen Waldman, and he's written the book Founding Faith, Providence, Politics, and the Birth of a Religious Freedom in America. And you're listening to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charmaine Amber, your spiritual lifestyle experts, helping humanity wake up one show at a time. Thanks for being with us.
2: You know, I love uh studying great people and actually trying to be a greater person myself. And here's an excerpt from your book on uh, Ben Franklin on his religion.
1: Here is my creed. I believe in one God, creator of the universe, that he governs the world by his providence, that he ought to be worshipped, that the most acceptable service we can render him is doing good to his other children that the soul of man is immortal and will be treated with justice in another life, respecting its conduct in this. Take uh, These I take to be the fundamental principles of all sound religion, and I regard them as you do in whatever sect I meet them.
2: I think that uh, is a pretty good that description. That covers it.
1: He's
2: a w- wise fellow. Yeah, he was in so many ways. He was a, a politician. He was a spiritual. He was scientist and wh- whatever else, an inventor. He was something, wasn't he? Well,
0: it's interesting. All of them, you know, started out with kind of complicated theologies, but when you read where their writings toward the end of their lives,
2: right, they sounded
0: quite similar. They, they all made statements similar to what you read from Franklin.
2: Yep, yep. It, just little excerpts like. Um, George Washington, the invisible hand that conducts uh, conducts the affairs of nations, and he encourages everyone to pray. You know, like, you know, we won wars because of prayer, and it was pretty obvious. Ben Franklin, be honest, be good, leave others alone. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like you said, John Adams, be just, be good. Jefferson, there's one perfect God, there's a like a karma for a future life. I mean, whatever you do here, it's going to play out in the future and balance out. Uh, You know, he was also so into it that he, uh, out of the Bible, wrote his own code of morals for, uh, you know, like a book of morals for the American Indians. You know, that's really getting into it.
0: Yeah, he actually sat there in the White House while he was president and cut up the Bible Pulled out the parts you liked and pasted it into a new volume. Well that's <laughs>
1: practical.
2: You know, my ego before I tamed it, sure could have had a good time with that. Yeah.
0: So
2: no, I don't like this. I don't like There's one thing left, and it was an error..
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I, I really love this about Thomas Jefferson. You know, I think this is so wise. In your book, it, it says that uh, one half hour each night, right before he went to sleep, he read something really moral, stimulating moral, for his sleep to digest. You know, like mm-hmm. he could he could be affected by in his sleep. And
1: well, those are dedicated spiritual th- people. That's a
2: really
0: smart technique. Yeah,
1: it's before they had tapes you could uh, play in your <laughs>
0: yeah. sleep. Yeah. Well, there's some speculation; they don't know for sure, but that that was part of why he did this. Has created his own. Uh, what came to be called the Jefferson Bible, um, was he, he believed that the Bible had been corrupted, uh, but that if you stripped out um, the corruption... The, so, mir- the
2: uh, miracles and stuff.
0: Yeah, he thought it, 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 it was the miracles and, and a, as evidences of Jesus' divinity and yeah. focused instead on Jesus' teachings, that you would had the perfect moral code. Yeah. So he created this, and and uh, you know it's believed that that was one of the things that when he was uh, sort of doing his uh, moral um, refresher before bed. Yeah. That he looked at.
2: You know, I, I truly believe that in the sincerity of Jesus, he came to give us the message, and it wasn't to be this big uh, party and and focus about the messenger that he was. It was the message he was trying to get across
0: to us. Yeah, that was certainly what Jefferson believed. And, um, he, he was, he used the term rescuing Jesus. He, he yeah. thought that, uh, he, he, had been so distorted that, um, he needed to be, you know, all the, the fabrications that he called it needed to be stripped away. Right. Now, you can imagine that this would be, he kept this whole project secret. Um, even the the, the, the Jefferson Bible, because you can imagine that, had it been known by his political opponents, they yeah.
2: kind of
0: made great hay with that.
2: Or, or even in the direction a bit of uh, being uh, caught for heresy.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think on some levels, you know, Jefferson was a heretic and he knew it. Yeah, you know, he he uh, his views were really um,
2: pressing the envelope. <laughs> they were, they
0: were. You know, and I think that's part of why he cherished freedom because he wanted the freedom to be himself. And to have these views, and it was an honest exploration. Yes, he was really, he was he was going in these directions because he was trying to figure it out himself. And and as I said, he was on a spiritual journey of his own.
2: And why why shouldn't a person be allowed to, even if it's not the religion of the territory or the land, be allowed to pursue truth and trying to find his finest truth?
0: Yeah, I think that's you know really important point, And he. He, um, it, it's a little sad to me that he felt like he needed to keep it secret.
2: Yeah, but, you know, I think it was valid.
0: Yeah. And he, I- you can kind of imagine that uh, you know, a politician who did that now would be in a lot of hot water. <laughs>
1: our, our guest today is Stephen Waldman, who's written the book Founding Faith, Providence, Politics, and the Birth of Religious Freedom in America. You're listening to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charmaine Amber, your spiritual lifestyle experts with sound answers to life's tough questions. Don't forget to catch us Monday through Saturday, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on CRN.
2: So bringing the United States together and, and growing it up as a grown-up nation and that kind of thing, how valuable do you think to begin with cheap land and uh, religious and civil liberties were?
0: Well, and I think the cheap land and the civil liberties uh, actually helped each other, too, because one of the reasons we were able to have religious freedom was that anytime a religion was feeling persecuted they moved and they set up in their own <laughs> land. that works that's yeah. easy and it it did help you know because it enabled it enabled all these different approaches to flower um instead of being in one small uh kind of combustible area yeah and you know the civil liberties um It was interesting to me that when when Madison was fighting for religious freedom in Virginia, one of the arguments he made was we need to attract settlers here in Virginia, and if we have freedom, that will be a selling point to them. That if we, you know, people want to be free. Yes. And if we have freedom here, we will attract more people and more creative people and more energetic people, and it will help our colony grow. Right. So they viewed freedom and civil liberties as an important um, lure, you know, for attracting people and building the nation. It's a very practical approach as well as philosophical. Yes.
2: Um, Do you believe that uh, religion is essential for a republic to flourish? And what's the difference between a republic and a democracy?
0: Well, um, a democracy—they—they they actually rarely used the word democracy back then. Democracy was viewed as, as sort of dubious of the sort of rabble um, controlling things, and republic was was uh, one step away, which was ultimately having power invested in at least some of the people, not all of them, um, instead of in a monarchy, and it involved representative government. Um, so they felt that um that because you were uh giving a lot of power to individuals that you know you had to have as much kind of moral grounding as possible. But they also believed and I agree with this that they needed to set up a government that did not assume that people were good. They they in fact set up a government that assumed people would do bad things.
2: That's and smart.
0: You would have checks and balances uh, and competing interests playing off against each other um, in order to preserve that freedom. And they took some of the same approach to religious freedom as well. They thought one of the best guarantors of religious freedom is diversity. If mm-hmm. You have more, a lot of different religious approaches that no one would dominate.
2: So it actually, in, in our, you know, United States I think is a, like a... Um, it's like a breakthrough country in a lot of ways, in that um, you don't have basically one dominant religion. You have a plurality, so many of them that you got to figure out how they all can get along together.
0: Yeah, that's really you know a key part of the formula. And well, you may think, well, that's true now, but back then everyone was Christian, and that's you know sort of true. But within Christianity, there was a lot of diversity, and from, from their vantage point, they were dealing with a tremendous amount of diversity because they were looking at it from different Christian denominations. But the point was the same thing, that they felt that um, there was no way as a practical matter to have one denomination dominate the others without it destroying everyone. Right.
2: Uh, would you expound on James and Dolly Dolly was his wife James Madison and Dolly
1: got about 30 seconds before and, and
2: we we'll probably go into the next section with this what what was their uh, profoundness in this
0: James Madison just kept popping up in in throughout the whole process as really the leading figure in defining what religious freedom meant and then fighting for it
2: mm-hmm Wow, that's good.
0: I guess that was
1: the thing. Ah, hey, Don't even.
0: Right on okay. the button there. <laughs> okay. We're about to go into detail. But I better wait. Yeah, okay. we'll do it
1: after the break. You're listening to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charmaine Amber, your spiritual lifestyle experts. Our guest today Stephen Waldman, author of Founding Faith, Providence, Politics, and the Birth of Religious Freedom in America. And I bet you got more for him to go after the break, huh, dear? You bet. We will be back with you in just a moment. Stay with us.